done. And in two weeks, we only covered eight verses. And in one week, we're going to cover the rest of the chapter. That's probably going to be how it goes back and forth as we go through these things. And so I have, I don't know, did anyone need an outline? I got one copy up here. I got mine if anybody needs it. Anybody want it? Anybody need a copy? Everyone good? All right. Yeah, I offered it. Anybody want this to play tic-tac-toe or anything? There's not much room for tic-tac-toe or to doodle on this one. So, all right. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look down at verse number 9 and read through the end of the chapter. And we're going to start seeing some things tonight as we continue on. It says there in verse number 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle which is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as it had been burned in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now there's sometimes when you go through parts of Revelation, and you hear candlesticks and stars, and you hear different things, you're like, what are those? And then the Bible doesn't tell you right after what they are. But here at the beginning, it tells us what they are. And so we'll be able to explain this a little bit better here in a couple minutes. I had someone ask me this last week. Pastor, when you, when you go through a book and things and you give like the history of it or some background, where do you get that from? And I teased the person that told me that. I said, well, I just make it up. And they gave me this look like, are you being serious? Yeah, I just make it up. I don't know when the book was written or anything. I just know... A lot of times you can look and there's background, you can find out some things. But when it comes, because we were going through, we were talking about the book of Samuel. And so the question was, did Samuel write, how did Samuel write Second Samuel? And that, there were one book to begin with and different things like that. But the book of Revelation here sets it up for us so we kind of know the stage is set for what is ahead. And tonight we're going to look at what Jesus told John to do. 
Now you'll notice that when that Jesus doesn't quite look the same here as he did when he came for the cross years before. And we'll talk about this, but the book of Revelation is all about Jesus and unveiling him. So we want to look at the background and see everything getting set for what is ahead tonight as we go through our outline. Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll just dive in. Father, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you would thank you for your word and that you give it to us, that we can study it and know more about you. Bless this time tonight as we're here. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, I got to tell you, I love Michael's attitude about he loves the book. Right, Michael? You like the book of Revelation? He's got just the biggest smile on his face. And he's always, he's just so excited about the book of Revelation. I've not seen many kids that get excited about the book of Revelation. And so... And, uh, but I like that. And so if we get some adults to be as excited as he is about it, we'll be in great shape. And so, you know, a lot of times we look, the Bible lays it out right for us at the beginning here, what all these things are, the background of the book. We see who the who is, who penned these words. It was John. John is the human author of the book of Revelation. And we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We know that the author is the Holy Spirit of God. But the man behind this here is John. Now, something interesting. This is the end of John's life. He's somewhere probably between 90 and 100 years old. Do you ever, some of you in the room that are getting a little bit more mature in years, you ever think, what good am I to God? This guy's on an island by himself in the middle of nowhere. He's older than any of you in this room, and God used him to pin the closing book of the Bible in those later years. So let that be an encouragement to you. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you're at in life, God can use you. And that's what God does. And we see this with John. And so the who it is John. Where was he when he pinned these words? We see that he was on the island of Patmos. That's about a 10 mile by six mile rock in the Mediterranean Sea. It looks, I saw a friend of mine, I was going to actually post a picture and put it up there. A friend of mine and uh, Ryan, the guy in uh, Arizona, Matheny, that we went and saw with their school, him and his wife were out in Greece and that whole area, and they spent time on the island of Patmos. Now, it looked beautiful. It looked nice. I am sure it was nothing like that back, oh, you know, almost... 1900 years ago, whatever the case may be. And this island was used by Rome as a hard labor prison. It was also, they banished um, John here to get him away from everybody. Now, I don't know, anybody ever done a tour of Alcatraz before? So we, I did that with some of our group last year. And Alcatraz, it is nice to be able to go on a tour boat and get there and leave. I would, and it's nice to walk through there for a few seconds, but there's really no, nothing pleasant about that place. And I picture Patmos being a lot worse than Alcatraz would be. And literally, what we see and what we know is the fact that they tried to kill John already, and he didn't die. So they thought the best way to stop John was to put him in the middle of nowhere where no one could hear his message anymore. Because why was John in trouble? Was John in trouble for being a bad guy? He's in trouble for preaching the word. 
They did not like hearing about Jesus. So, I, so they thought what you do is you banish him. They banished him to the Isle of Patmos, and they figured no one would ever hear from him again. Wrong. Wrong. The last book of the Bible pinned there. Isn't it amazing? I think God has a sense of humor, don't you? Especially when I see how he made some of you in this room. I know he has a sense of humor, right, Russ? But um, we know that God does because you think about the fact, I know that the whole goal was to shut John up, and then John gets to pin the last book of the Bible there. Something also I want you to notice, if you look at the where, he was physically on the island of Patmos, but what was he doing on the Lord's Day? He was in the Spirit. He was worshiping with the Lord. You know, he could have gotten bitter at God that he was banished to an island by himself. But no, he was spending time with the Lord. And that's a great lesson for all of us that even when things get tough and even when we're down, it's not a time to stop serving the Lord and to stop spending time with the Lord. John has been basically fried alive and lived through it he literally is banished to an island on the lord's day he's talking with the lord it's a great lesson for us and we see those things here he preached the word as we see this happen and i just picture john being there on the island and i picture him being discouraged and thinking his life is over and there's nothing left and i just and it says look at there in verse number nine it says in verse 10, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Could you imagine how John must have felt when he realized Jesus was there? And he gets to see him again? Now, you've got to understand, Jesus and John had a pretty special relationship. Um, John's the one who took care of Jesus' mother when Jesus died on the cross. John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I know it's in the book that John wrote, but it was given under inspiration. And John is there, and I just, I can't even, I can't even fathom in my mind what it must have been like in that moment as he's feeling like everything's over, and he hears Jesus behind him. And then when he turns to see him, he knows who he is because he was on the island, uh, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus for who he truly was. And so as we look here, we see Jesus talks to him here, and he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the, B, the first and the last. And what we see right away, and let's get right into our outline, number one, we see that Jesus gives John a job to do. God has something for John to do. He's almost, he's between 90 and 100 years old. He's banished to an island by himself to die and to waste away. And Jesus says, hey, I've got something for you. And I mentioned a minute ago, I'll say it again, wherever you're at tonight, and you're, God has a job for you. God has something for you to do. Out of all the ways God could do anything he wants to, he uses people. He does. And as messed up as we are, he likes using people. And God's got something for you. We see that God has a job. What does God tell him, letter A? He tells him, write what you see. Look there at verse 11. It says, what thou seest, write in the book. Now, you know, here's a good question. So did he have a notebook with him? What, what did he have there? Did the Lord give him something to write with? What was it going to be? He had something. He must have had something to write. 
Then look down at verse number 19 also, and look, Jesus goes a little deeper in verse 19. He says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So we see that that Jesus has a job for John. I want you to write down some things. Then in verse 19, he tells him exactly what he wants him to write. We see the first thing that he wants John to write is the things which thou hast seen. So we see that in chapter number 1. John is on the island of Patmos, and he sees Jesus there. The second thing that Jesus wants John to write about are the things which are. That's what's going on in those seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter number 3. And then thirdly, Jesus wants John to write about the things which shall be hereafter, which is chapter 4 through chapter 22. So right there in this one verse, verse 19, you have the entire outline for the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is the things that John saw at that moment. Chapter 2 and 3 are the things which are going on. And then thirdly, the things which shall be hereafter, talking about the end times. So right there you have the entire outline for the book found in verse number 19. And so we see that Jesus gives John a job to do. First of all, you need to write what you see. Secondly, letter B, send these letters to the seven churches. Now, maybe there was a pigeon there on the island, and the pigeon was going to carry it, airmail, right? Or the postman was going to pick it up from there. Say, how in the world did they get it? Somehow they got it. And God knows how to do what he's going to do. But he says, hey, you need to write down what you see, and then you need to send this to the seven churches. And Jesus had a direct message for the seven churches, which we will get into over the next several weeks. And what churches were they? The Bible lists them for us. The first one's the church of Ephesus. Church of Ephesus. Give me a second to be able to spell these out. Number two. Church of Smyrna. Thirdly, Pergamos. Fourthly, Thyatira. Fifthly, Sardis. Sixth, Philadelphia. And not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That wasn't around yet, okay? You're like, oh, I thought I knew where that church was. No, it's not there. And then seventh and last, the church of Laodicea. And as we go through each church, I'll show you where they're at and tell you a little bit about each city as we go through those things when we get there. But we're not there yet. So we see that Jesus has a job for John to do. I want you to write what you see, uh, the things that are, and the things which are going to be later on. And I want you to write to these seven churches and send these letters to them. That is what the book of Revelation is all about. And so as we look at that, we see that Jesus gives them a command. Then secondly, number two, we see what John sees. Say, how do we know what he sees? Because he writes down what Jesus tells him to. Isn't that brilliant how that works? Glad that John obeyed Jesus and wrote down what he saw what Jesus told him to do. Some of us, I know what we would do, we'd be like, I'll just store it in my head and I'll write it down later. I'm glad he didn't do that. I'm glad we got the details here. 
So as we look here, and what did John see? The first thing that we see that John saw, letter A, is seven golden candlesticks. Now those seven golden candlesticks, I want you to go with me down to verse number 20. Go down to verse 20. That says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now look at this. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we look at verse 12, and it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. So what are those candlesticks? They are those churches, right? And isn't the church represented by light? Right? The Bible tells us in um, Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so the seven golden candlesticks are the churches. Now when we see this, look at what the next verse says. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, so let her be, we see the fact that Jesus is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So these seven candlesticks represent the churches that are mentioned. And the lamps, the light that they have. And Jesus talks about taking their light away, right? I think that's a judgment that God give, puts on churches at times. You ever see churches that their light is shining bright, souls are getting saved, they're reaching people for the Lord, and then years later, there is no light left, it's not shining anymore, I think that God removes that light away at times. The seven golden candlesticks, Jesus in the midst of it, aren't you, and when you think about that fact, Jesus knows what goes on in his church. Don't ever lose sight of that. He walks in the midst of it all. You'll see, as we look at these seven churches, Jesus knew everything about them. And may I just remind you tonight that everything that goes on in this place, he knows all of it. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows everything. He's got it. He knows it all. And you might think you can play good Christian, that everyone thinks you're a good Christian, but God knows your heart and he knows the truth. And he walks in the midst of his church. He's there in the midst of it. And thank God for that, that he's there. And you think about the Bible tells us in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that, if you were to take that verse, make sure you take it in context. Because I remember when I was in Montana, it was crazy to me. The church in Montana there, the deacons in the church, some of the best men in the church, hunting season, they just took off. Like, whoa. They're like, well, we're going out to the woods. Two or three are gathered in the Lord's name. There he is in the midst of us. I don't know. That's not what that verse is talking about. That verse is talking about church discipline. And that's what that area is talking about. And I would, just a little, just a little thought for us. We put little value on church today. I don't understand why we put such little value on church today. The Bible says you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I would just make church a priority. You're never going to go wrong making church a priority. Because the problem is, when you make less of church, your children are going to make even less of it when they're adults. And it's, that's true. It's very true. You wait and see. You, some of you, your grandkids won't even be in church. Because you're barely in church, and your kids won't even ever be in church. 
Church is important. And I don't know why we get this idea, let's do everything in the world and let's skip God's house. There's something wrong with that. And our priorities aren't right. We need to be very careful. And I can say that to you here on a Wednesday night because only the true Christians are here on a Wednesday night anyways, right? And so I'm not preaching to any of you. I'm preaching to all of us. Church should be important and make church important in your life. Jesus is there in the midst of it. And as we look at this, we see the fact that there's seven golden candlesticks. Jesus is there in the middle of it. And then we see letter C, we see Jesus unveiled. We get to see him for who he truly is. Now, if we were to go, hold your place here and go with me to Matthew chapter 17. I think that's the chapter I want you to turn to. I think. We'll know in a second. Yeah, that's it. Man, I, uh, yesterday, so, oh, that was something I was going to mention earlier. Um, at the PD, there's a Bible study once a month. There were 30 officers that came yesterday to the Bible study. And we had a, the chief that was, Chief Pruitt, he was the chief two times ago. In the, or t- and he, uh, so it's been about 10 years since, he goes and does his shooting qualification every year. And so he's walking through and he asked one of the officers, what's this? And they, he said it was a Bible study. He started crying right in the middle of the hallway there. And he used to, when he was the chief, and at that time, they would have a private Bible study in the back corner with a few people because they didn't want trouble. And literally, in the main briefing room, everyone knows there's a Bible study going on. He was floored and just loved that fact that that was going on. But then I was there, and then I was at the rescue mission last night. I preached three messages yesterday. It was like a Sunday morning for me. I'm sitting here at night thinking, where's my voice at? Because my voice is not as strong as it normally is on a Wednesday night. But that rescue mission, they don't give you a microphone. And you, gotta, you, have, and you have plenty of room in there. They could all sit in the front. But, you know, everyone likes the back for some reason. But the rescue mission, that was a good time as well. But um, we provide the food, so the PD were thankful again yesterday for the food for that. So thank you for being a part of that whole thing. And so we see the seven golden candlesticks. We see that Jesus is in the midst of it. And we look there and we see that Jesus is unveiled. Now go with me to, you're there in Matthew 17. Look at what it says. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And literally, that's all it says about it. There's not a great detail given to us of what Jesus looked like. Unveiled. But literally, what they saw on this mount is what John saw in the book of Revelation. This is who Jesus is. So, as we go back to our text, we get to see a little bit more here about Jesus and what it says about him. It says in the midst, and it says he was clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paths of the golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as flames of fire, and his feet like fine brass as they had burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. 
And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And so as we see here, we see several things about the Lord. We see him unveiled for who he is. And we see several things mentioned about that here. We see, first of all, and uh, were, we, were, we at, were, we at, were we at on those? Go back, Joe, for a second. Jesus unveiled. I'm jumping all over the place. I did that yesterday, too. I do that sometimes. But we see Jesus unveiled. The first thing we see, number one, is his title given. You notice he says, I am. Isn't that a key phrase for the Lord? I am. Yes. That goes back to the burning bush that wasn't burnt. Hey, tell, the ch- tell them I am that I am has sent me. Remember how Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And they didn't like that. But we see right away his title. He is the I am. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. As we look at this, he is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, right? And so we see his title mentioned here. We see not only his title mentioned here, but we also see number two. We see his position there in verse number 13. And as we look there, we see his position. He's the Son of Man. He is God. And as we look at this here, we see not only his title and his position, but we see, thirdly, we see his characteristics. Now, like each of us tonight, you have some characteristics about yourself. And uh, we see some of Jesus' characteristics. The first thing that we see, small letter A, we see his head and his hair. They were white like wool, as white as snow. The white stands for purity. Also, white hair and things shows age and wisdom too, right? And a lot of you, I don't know why you dye it, right? You could just leave it all and have all that wisdom showing for everybody. You could be like, you could be like Russ, and you see wisdom radiating off of Russ's head. Somewhere, yeah. And so we see his hair and his head. Letter B, we see his eyes. When we think of his eyes, we think of perception. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, verse number 13, Neither is there any creature that was not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In his eyes, he sees everything. Do you realize that? Think about how the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. We see his head, his hair. We see his eyes. Let her see. We see his feet. We think about the fact that he's going to stomp his enemies and we think about persistence when it comes to his feet. It mentions there that um, his eyes are as flames and his feet like fine brass as if they burn in a furnace. We see next his voice and the power in God's voice. The power that's there. is the voice of authority 
You ever listen to the waves and you hear the water crashing in and the power of those waves? It just reminds me of the power of God's voice. And we see the power that he has there in verse 15. His voice is the sound of many waters. We see next, letter E, we see that there are stars in his hand. Now, what are the stars in his hand? Now, I, I especially love this one, okay? I really love this one. I love all of these aspects here. But look at verse number, look at the last verse again of the chapter. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now you say, also the, the churches have, so every church has an angel watching over it. That's not what that's talking about there. The word angel is the word messenger. And in all reality, the stars would be, and not like a star, like a Hollywood star, but the star represented there would be the pastor of those churches. That's what it's referring to. You know how you look at that verse in um, Romans chapter number 10, verse 14, and how shall they hear without a preacher? That word means messenger. It is the same word that is translated angel right here. So, you, so as we look at this, and we look at this verse, we see that those stars are in his hand and the protection that God gives to his pastors. That's what I see right there. That's an encouragement to me. And so you might say, I don't see that. You just don't understand the Bible very well. It's pretty clear. And uh, it's right there for you. And sometimes, you know, God, and, you know, where, where I draw, how far I go deep into this, I don't try to do it often. But God gives a church a pastor. That's a gift from, I am a gift from God to you. And whatever you want to think of that, that's your business. And I'm not going to go deeper into that. But God, you've got to understand, there are, when you are a pastor, there are targets all over you. And the devil doesn't want you to make it. And I, that's an encouragement to me that the stars, the seven stars, are he protects them. Doesn't mean a pastor doesn't do stupid things at times. But we see protection there. So the seven stars are the pastors of those seven churches that the letters were written to. And so we see the stars in his hand. We see next his mouth and perfection. You think about the fact when we look at this, and isn't it interesting that when it talks about his mouth here, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword? There's a verse in the Bible that talks about the word of God, doesn't it? The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And isn't literally Jesus the living word? So it would only make sense that a two-edged sword would be coming from his mouth, right? Because he is the word of God, the living word. And you think about this, the Bible tells us that he's the creator of all things. He spoke this world into existence, and he will speak this world out of existence. We see his mouth, and we see that sharp two-edged sword. And then we see his countenance. There in verse 16, and his countenance... There's no equals to him. Do you think about the fact that in heaven, there will be no more sun? Like, we need the sun here on earth because we need light. 
In heaven, we won't need the sun. Jesus is the light. And when we think about his countenance and the radiance of it, and what it is and how it shines, it shows us that there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is on a platform by himself, and there's no one like him. You see, we see, and I put there in the, in the outline there for you, we have the churches or the lampstands, the messengers or the pastors, the stars, and Jesus is the light, the sun. And so we see that in this passage, we see some things about Jesus, and he's unveiled there. And we see his title, we see his position, we see his characteristics there in verse 14 to 16. And next, number four, we see the peace that he brings. You see what it says there in verse 17? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's where, you know, you hear people sometimes say, when I see the Lord, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You will not be giving him a piece of your mind. When you see him in his awe and splendor, you will bow down before him. It is the natural response to God. But look at what Jesus does here. Look what it says. It says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me. That shows us also that God is right-handed, right? Do you see that right there? Right? Russ, you hear that right there? He didn't say he touched him with the left hand. Right-handed. That's what it says right here. Some do say, and I don't know if it's true, they say that back in the day that Lucifer was off on the left side of the Lord and Jesus was on the right hand, but there's no proof that that's true. I made that one up. I made that one up. Caroline's also a lefty, so I like to tease lefties, you know. And so, but we see, it does say he used his right hand here. He told him, what did he tell him? Fear not, I am the first and the last. We see as we look here, we see that John's reaction to Jesus, and we see that Jesus' touch calmed him, and the peace that came over him. Do you know there's going to be a lot of people that see Jesus for who he is, and there will be no peace? Because they don't know him. But to those that know him, there will be peace. And then lastly, number five, we see his power. His power. As we think about this and we look at his power, look at what it says there. And he said, and he lay his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Look what it says. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. When we think of his power, we think about what he said after his resurrection. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth there in Matthew 28. And when we look at his power, we think about first of all his resurrection. The fact that he rose from the dead. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And guess what? Someday that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power is going to raise us again. I talked about that last night at the rescue mission and spent some time on that thought that we are kept by that same power that raised Jesus. And you see here he says, hey, I'm he that liveth and was dead. But guess what? I'm alive again and I'm going to live forever. Do you realize no one else has done that but Jesus? There have been those that raised from the dead. When Jesus, rose, when Jesus rose from the dead, many came out of their graves, right? The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew. 
but they died again at some point. Lazarus isn't alive still today. Jesus is the only one. And he said, I am he that was dead. I was him that was alive and is dead and I live again now. Look at what it says, the rest of it. I love this. It says, and have the keys of hell and of death. In his power, we see his resurrection. And lastly, letter B, we see his right to everything. He has the keys. He owns it. You know, tonight you got a key to your house, right? Well, you should have a key, hopefully. Or you got one of those, you got those special code things, and you got to put your code in. But you know the code because it's your house. You have the right to that because you have the keys to it. Jesus literally owns the key that unlocked death's door. No one else has that key, and no one else ever will. And so as we look at the opening chapter of the book of Revelation, John, on the Lord's day, saw Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, John, I want you to write down some things. I want you to write down what you're seeing right now. I want you to write down what's going on in these churches. I want you to write about what's going to happen someday. And I want you to take it and send it to those seven churches so they can see these things. And then we see right away, John turns around, and then he writes down what he saw. And he saw those seven candlesticks, the seven churches, saw Jesus in the midst of those and saw Jesus for who he was, the seven stars in his hand. And he sees him and he falls as dead before him. The Lord gets him back up. And then chapter two, we're going to start with the seven letters with the first church next week. Father, thank